Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. I've mentioned I'm building a deck, and everybody who's had the opportunity to listen, I've taken that opportunity to tell you about it. You also know that last week was 98 degrees, 99 degrees, 100 degrees, hot, sweaty, irritated, taking forever, much longer than I thought, and uh, it's been quite a journey. It's been quite a journey. Well, Lane and I went to Menards. We needed to get a few little odds and ends. I had purchased most of what I needed, but I needed a single item a half-inch galvanized nut, this single item. So I walk through, you've all been in hardware stores, you know, especially in this aisle where there's these. It's full, replete with various varieties of all sorts of hardware and fasteners. So I was looking and looking and looking. And you also know in these big box stores, there's no one to be found. And if you find someone they're not going to know what it is you're looking for, so it's on you to find it. And so I was looking, and I'm growing more and more irritated. I finally found the bin of half-inch galvanized nuts. The issue was is that they're only sold in bags of 28. I said, I'm not going to buy and waste 27 of these nuts, which I'll never use again. I just want a single nut. So I continue in the process of searching. And I'm looking and looking, growing ever more irritated. Finally, I look in the bottom of that bin, and there is a single nut. I said, well, there it is. I found my answer. And I told myself, mistake, told myself, they'll be able to look it up at the register. The other store can do that. So I brought it up, all the things I was getting, including my one nut. We put everything up there and then I'll go in my pocket. I said, oh, I also have this. And she looked at me and I should have known from that moment, just by her look, what was about to happen. And the dreaded arm went up and she flipped the little light switch that said price check. Okay, price check. I acted a fool, guys. I acted a fool. I said, it is your fault that I have to bring this up. Now, I'm being inconvenienced and forced to wait because you cannot clearly mark the bins. And now here I am trying to proceed with my project, and I cannot because I have to wait for some person who probably doesn't know what it is that we're looking for anyway for me to continue on. And she calmly looked at me. I'm grateful I wasn't wearing my VBS shirt. <laughs> she, this, this, this is why I don't put an ichthus on my car. This is why, I, I, sad, sad to say. She looked at me and she said, Sir, it's not my fault. You're angry at me for no reason. I didn't mark the bins. I'm not even sure where you got that. Um, I understand you're upset, but it's, you shouldn't take it out on me because I'm just the cashier. And Lane just sat there quietly and didn't say anything as I pouted and turned the other way. 
we waited and waited, just like a normal price check. Ten minutes later, the girl comes strolling up to tell me that I can pay one twenty-eighth of the cost of the bag of nuts. So I ended up paying, I don't know what it was, like nine cents for this nut. Nine cents. I was like, I, anyway. So I did not handle that well, but she did. And when we were discussing this afterwards and I left, of course, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You need to march back in there, say you're sorry. No, I didn't do anything wrong. That whole battle that we go through in our hearts and minds. It reminded me of the passage that we were coming into this week anyway, where Gideon actually answers a group of antagonists who are angry with him. Now, this is something that we can all use, okay? I think especially in light of what happened on Friday, this is something we need to really be able to have a handle on because the country is angry. There is a huge population of our nation who is very upset with not only the Supreme Court and the decision that they've made, but with who they see as the cause of it all, us. People who hold to the truth that every life is valuable from the moment of conception until the final breath. And so I suspect that there are going to be times, probably many of us with family members even, that are going to have to have difficult conversations, that this is going to be the point of contention, that this is going to be the opportunity for us to answer in a winsome way in a way that Jesus would. I mean, could you imagine Jesus having a conversation with somebody who's angry about what has just happened in the country? How would Jesus respond in this situation? Well, I think Gideon actually gives us a glimpse into what that might look like. Today, we're going to talk about how dealing with angry people requires wisdom and not warfare. Dealing with angry people requires wisdom and not warfare. If we don't figure this out, we're going to make it worse. We're going to rub salt in the wound. If we don't get this figured out, we are going to, in our own lives, be a terrible witness for Christ. Because here we're in a tense situation. We should have serenity and the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding. And yet we are acting like the world in their anger. So we need to know how to be people of peace and not people of warfare. So turn with me to Judges. This is chapter 7, 23 through verse 8, 4. We're going to uh, read through it and then we'll go back and I'll give you what I, th- what I see the Lord wanting me to talk about this morning. So verse 23. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men were called out and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. So what I want to show you is this map. This is what we talked, last week we mentioned we were going to do this. This is sort of, This is sort of important. You know, if you look at the history of mankind, really, if you study history, sadly, it's the study of war. War is just something that punctuates everything that we do, and it's even throughout the Bible. And so this is what we're looking at. If you look to the red, the red line is the retreat of the Ephraimites. If you look to the north, you see three tribes, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. Zebulun's mentioned in another place, so they're probably included in what they're describing here as being Asher, Naphtali, and all of Manasseh. So Manasseh is divided into two, one side on one side of the Jordan, the other on the other, so east and west. Manasseh, all of these tribes come together and give pursuit to the retreating Midianites. All right. Now the Midianites begin running along that red line, past Beth Shan, down the Jordan River Valley, and they're seeking to escape. Now if you remember where Midian is situated in relation to Israel, it's all the way south in today what we would call the Sinai Peninsula. All right. So for them to get back home, 
once they're on retreat, puts them directly into the heart of Israel through the, na- the tribes of Judah, through the tribe of Simeon, right in the center of the nation. And so it's imperative at this time that Midian stop the retreat because more damage could be, honestly, they could do more damage on the way out. They're just trying to get them out. So they call Ephraim, who you can see is in the hill country south along that purple line, okay, from Shechem to Beth Barah, right near the city of Adam. Adam. And so this is the place where they're going to make their final stand, and they do. They actually stop the Ephraimites here, and they drive them to the east through Sukkoth, Penuel, and on to Karkor, which is in, I think it's probably present-day Syria, maybe Iraq, I'm not exactly sure, but it's nonetheless down southeast along that red line. So let's go back to our text and see what it says. Verse 25. The Ephraimites, that's they, they also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. Never heard those names. Those are kind of cool. Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the Rock of Oreb. So they're saying at this place that's been called the Rock of Oreb, this is why it's called that. And Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. I don't know, not super creative, but anyway. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who is by the Jordan. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they challenged him vigorously. That's the English translation of they were ticked off. But he answered them. He answered, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abiezer? Abiezer is his father, his tribe. He's saying, isn't what you've done, even with just getting the two head honchos, better than what I have done, even though I might have wiped out so many of the other Midianites? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? At this, the resentment against him subsided. So I want us to look at this interaction, particularly verse 2 and 3 of chapter 8. What is it that Gideon said to them? Why were they angry and what was the result? How did this diffuse the situation? So when answering the antagonist, the first thing we need to learn and understand is that we should never repay anger for anger. Don't repay anger for anger. Why were the Ephraimites angry? To begin with, well, it seems that they felt that it was wrong not to include them. They say as much. However, beneath this is likely shame. Shame. Israel, the Middle East, still is a largely shame-honor culture. And so the fact that they were not called out, when some ways could have been looked at as Midian or Gideon was saying that they were cowards. Or that they couldn't fight well. Or that they had no business being part, or maybe that Gideon wanted all of the glory for himself and his 300 men. Maybe it was tribal rivalry. Either way, I think that it probably is rooted in this idea of shame. That they felt like less than warriors because they were not called out and being sought after to fight with Gideon against the Midianites. At this point, they had to have heard what has happened. The Ephraimites had to have known that Gideon defeated the Midianites with 300 men, blowing shofars and crashing open torches all simultaneously. In other words, they had to have known this was a miracle of God. They had to have known. Yet they were more concerned with their own reputation than with God's reputation. How does this affect me? 
I think what's important to know is, is that in this situation, like every situation where people grow angry, many people refer to anger as a secondary emotion. This is something that is sort of revolutionary for somebody who's dealing with anger, who often has problems with rage. When somebody gets angry, anger is what is expressed as a consequence of another first primary emotion in the heart. So oftentimes I'll say, how are you feeling? Someone might say, I'm angry. Well, when you stop and you dig a little deeper and you say, well, why are you angry? When they get to the place of saying something like, well, I was embarrassed. They put me on the spot in front of everybody and it made me feel stupid or it made me feel foolish. Anger is the result of that feeling. Or, <laughs> one time, I think I've shared this story, we were eating at a restaurant downtown, and um, Calvin was much younger. He's probably 10 years old or so. I came out of the door and made a left turn, and he came out of this hidden little area and went, Rah! like that. You don't do that to a guy who's been to the joint. You don't do that. You don't jump out at a person like that. So my response was a, a prison response. It was a anger I'm going to get you, I'm going to attack you first before you can attack me again without even thinking about it. I had to apologize. I had to apologize basically to half Elmhurst who heard me. But I mean, it was, I had to apologize to him because in the end, I wasn't necessarily angry with him. He was a kid. I was afraid. I was afraid. And in my fear, that burst of anger came out. If you think about your own life and the, what makes you angry, those times that, Somebody in your life knows how to press your button and you end up exploding on them. When you go back and you really evaluate why it is you did what you did, I am certain you will find that there is a deeper emotion motivating that anger. And it's that issue that we have to address when we're interacting with somebody who's angry with us. It's that issue that we have to address if we want to get a handle on our own anger. So we do not repay anger for anger. See, Gideon was doing exactly what God had commanded him. He was in the right here. And Ephraim came to them, these members of the tribe of Ephraim, came angry, accusing him, assuming that he had negative intentions or bad intentions. And Ephraim could have said, you're right, I was totally bogus. I should not have done that. And in the process would have said that what God had commanded him to do was actually wrong but he didn't. He stayed calm. He explained, as we'll see. When fighting the idols and sin in our lives, the choices we make can sometimes seem like an affront to those around us. Sometimes the way we overcome or the way we deal with the sin in our lives is to back away from people, is to make a decision to not interact in the same way that we had in the past. When I was, um, when I was in jail, I would work with a lot of guys I would interact with people and, and do discipleship, basically. And many times I would talk to a kid and we would talk about the Lord. They'd come to a place of faith. They would say, I believe, I want that. It was like no sooner were they converted and they began pulling away from the crowds that they were running with within prison, they heard somebody say something like this. Oh, you think you're better than us. Oh, I see. You're smart now. Last week you were doing X, Y, and Z right next to us having no problem, but today, now, this is who you are. The issue is, is the conviction comes back upon those who are remaining the same. And they say, well, this is an attack on me. In other words, that what they're doing makes my bad, my sin stand that much 
further out. I see this often. When people are dealing with situations, addictions in their lives, when we're struggling with habitual sin in our lives, probably the number one reason I think that, that people fall back into it is a relational issue. Is a relational issue. Anyway, but Gideon didn't get angry. It says he simply answered. He answered. Now, this is important. Answering is not the same as defense. Okay? Answering is not the same as defense, as it's stated here. Answering is simply stating the facts. Answering is explaining why you did something. That's okay. What gets a little tricky here is when you begin defending yourself. Defending yourself. Because what happens is, is when we defend ourselves, it's, it's we really, we're taking up our own cause. We're the ones who are seeking to maintain our identity. We're the ones who are seeking to maintain our reputation. We're the ones, but the Bible says that the Lord fights those battles. And simply be people of truth and speak the truth to those who are willing to listen. I've heard this said, is don't make apologies to anyone because those who love you don't need them and those who don't love you, it won't matter. Okay? I think it's an extension of this teaching by Christ. He says, just let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. You don't have to put anything extra on it. You can just give an explanation without seeking to defend what you were doing because in the end, the Lord knows and the Lord will fight our battle. We do not need to defend our cause when we know that what we are doing is right. And what we have done is from the Lord. Of course, we have to think clearly about this. We need to be reflective because there are things that we will say, well, the Bible says, and we will respond accordingly. But our motivation is wrong. Our heart is wrong. It was amazing to me when I was converted how much more how much easier life was when I was just making the next right decision. That all of the problems that I was having in my life were really a result of my own bad decisions. Of course, I didn't see it that way at the time. Everyone else had the problem. But in the end, it was me. Just speaking the truth simply eliminates the very problems we're afraid that are going to rise up if we don't defend ourselves. So trust the Lord. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see how Gideon responds opposite. In fact, if we, next week we're going to talk about a July 4th message. But if we did next week's message for this, next week we would see that he did exactly the wrong thing that he does right here and he gets different results. So it's important. The Bible talks a great deal about anger. And we need to not respond in that way when responding to someone who is angry with us. First, we're cautioned against foolish displays of anger. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Uh, when I bought my new car, I had bought it on a Friday, and Saturday it had a dent in the door. And that dent arose from somebody in my home. I don't know who it was. They know who it was. God knows who it was. The dent has since been addressed, but there was a dent there. And I lost it. I lost it. Of course, it stemmed from the, why can't I have anything nice? Why can't I have anything nice? And I exploded, and I got in the car, and I drove away, and I stayed away from the home for a couple hours. I called my dad. I told him the story. He was like, oh, yeah, I know that kind of thing very well, you know. <laughs> Had to be the other three kids, not me he was talking about. But I look back on that in shame, and I don't want to act like that. This is an area in my own life that I need to continually address. It's 
the half-inch galvanized nut will attest. A fool gives full vent, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The Bible says answering and anger is foolish because it fuels the exchange. Proverbs 15.1 says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Any relationship we hope to have, any bonding, any, any commonality we're seeking to find with the person with whom we're interacting or who's angry with us is lost when we return anger for anger. It's often true that as soon as we get angry, the discussion is over. The discussion is over. And sometimes the less we say, the better. Proverbs 10, 19 says it's not up there. says, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongue. In other words, where there are many words, there is much sin. The more we talk, the, digger we deep, or the deeper we dig. <laughs> the deeper we dig. Sometimes it's better to just not say anything. Because it can lead to sin. In this country and in our own faith, I'm convinced of this because I talk to some of you. I know how some of you interact with the world and with those around you. We tend to believe that whoever speaks loudest or angriest is the correct person in the exchange. But that is often, often, I would say mostly, not true. The Bible says otherwise. Proverbs 25.15 says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. That there is power in speaking the truth in love from a place of calm, of confidence in the Lord and what he has said to be true. So when when we're interacting with someone who's angry, we don't have to say it loudly. We just have to say it truthfully. We just have to deliver it with love. So this sounds easy. If I stopped right there, I would say, well, then how do we, you know, it's just work harder, basically, would have been the concept. But that's not what God's calling us to do because we have proven to ourselves time and again whether or not that anger gets expressed in our life or it's just hidden in our heart. The response to that anger is Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. It's a matter of not quenching the spirit that's there because the scripture says that the fruit of the spirit are all these items that respond to anger. They're the antithesis of anger. I've heard people say, well, I got this, you know, I got the peace patience, love part, but I don't really have the kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. It's not how it works. In the text, it says the fruit, one, the fruit of the Spirit. If you're living in the Spirit, these should be coming out. And if they're not, it's because with the Bible, you're quenching it. You're getting in your own way. You're getting in the way of the Spirit trying to come out. So it's a spiritual battle before it's a behavioral one. The world would say, well, just count to 10. Punch a pillow. Break something constructive that does not address the anger. The Bible says that it doesn't. Trusting in the Lord, allowing the Spirit to come out is what happens. So first, we need to pray. There is a power in prayer. We ask God to superintend our interactions and to guard our hearts, to keep us aware of what is about to happen before it happens. I was in a meeting yesterday with somebody, not church, and there was uh, two guys who I could tell were was irritating one another, but they weren't angry. I talked to the one guy beforehand said, he says, I'm not going to get angry. I know he's going to push my button. I'm not going to get angry. I said, how are you going to do that? He goes, I'm just going to make the decision and not get angry. I said, okay. So we get into the meeting and two seconds in, it was like a light switch. He was, I was like, what happened to not get angry? Because there was never any discussion about what is the motivation? What is the internal power here? We have it. We have it. The Holy Spirit. 
We make the decision to stay calm. In other words, we make the decision to let the Spirit lead. We make the decision to let the Spirit lead. Paul tells us to be angry. It's okay to be angry, just don't sin. Don't sin, and there's a way to do that. Sometimes we get angry when responding because we feel someone is saying something that strikes at our very identity. Our very identity. But the more we keep our eyes fixed on Christ and who he says we are, the less the barbs of those arrows stick. The less they stick. Because think about this. I think about this all the time. If I were to live my life in such a way that nothing anyone ever said had any impact on me because I was so firmly rooted in who Jesus says that I am, what would life be like? Imagine that. Not caring what other people think. Not caring even what you think. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. I leave it to Christ. Living life without any self-consciousness because you know that in the end, you are saved, God loves you, and it, it, all that matters. All that matters. This life is a breath, guys. It's a whisper, vanity of vanities. It's that. And we live for eternity. We live for eternity. So in the end, we look to Christ, keeping our eyes fixed upon him. And the more we do that, the less this world will knock us off of our square. So when answering the antagonist, that's one, keep, uh, don't get angry. Two, give perspective and not excuses. Gideon explains the situation as he sees it. Like I said, he does not defend his actions. Well, you see what had happened was, is I did this. I didn't think you guys would do this. I did. He didn't say any of that. He simply gave perspective. He said, you're angry and you actually have the blessing. He gave perspective. He focuses on the good they did and not on what he did. Gideon does not say, do you realize how crazy you sound right now? That's a dangerous statement. Husbands, don't ever say that. We often feel the need to defend ourselves, but God knows the truth. God knows the truth. When we interact with someone who is angry, there's a caution here. And we're seeking to give perspective. We need to be careful that we are not Gaslighting, okay? Who has who's heard of their term gaslighting? It's a, it's come into the part you know the vernacular quite a bit. It's from a movie in 1944 called Gaslight. It's where it actually comes from. And the point of the movie is a husband who does things and does these little actions to make his wife believe she's crazy. Well, you the same idea. There are times that we've interacted with people, and I would dare say there are times that we've done this. That we have in an exchange or in a relationship, acted in such a way so that the blame could subtly be placed on them because they're the ones who are crazy, not us. They're the ones who are thinking erroneously and we're the ones that are right. We really see what reality is. It's an attempt to convince someone that what they are feeling or thinking does not comport with reality. In doing so, it causes them to doubt their own perceptions. Because what then it does for the gaslighter is it allows them to control the narrative. It allows them to say what is real and what is not. And so we need to be careful. When we explain a situation, we need to recognize that we have sinful hearts and that we are capable of manipulating the people that we love in an attempt to defend ourselves. In an attempt to defend ourselves. But we can avoid this by recognizing that really whatever they're feeling we might not understand it. There are people who act and believe a certain way that I cannot understand. Because I, let me say it differently. I think they're wrong. But I can understand why they feel that way. 
I can understand why they feel that way. And sometimes when we interact with people who are angry with us, just as Gideon did, he says, you have the better part of it than I do. And so he's seeking to just give um, an answer, not a defense. Finally, when answering the antagonist, we give credit where credit is due. Gideon gives credit. He tells the Ephraimites, he says, look, you got the two leaders. You got the ones that are most important. You've gotten the lion's share of the glory because you captured the kings of the army. We just got all of the little dominions. You got the ones. You got the guys. If you look at this, you'd almost say that Gideon could be flattering. But he's not. He's not. Gideon does not simply flatter here. Flatter stroking someone's ego in order to manipulate them. To manipulate them. It's not just saying something nice. It's not just giving an affirming word. It's giving an affirming word so that I can get something out of it. So I can get something out of it. We are called not to flatter. It's a sin. And the way that we say nice things can be dangerous. can be dangerous. Remember, our hearts are sinful. We're to be people of truth. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A flattering mouth works, listen to this word, ruin. Ruin. Flattery, in my experience, has often ruined the person that I'm flattering. It often is telling them something that's not entirely true. Sends them off on a path in their own mind and heart that is not accurate. Proverbs 29.5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. That's his neighbor's feet. His neighbor's feet. Giving credit like Gideon does here is simply speaking the truth. Giving credit, however, goes both ways. Okay, when we're interacting with somebody who's angry with us, we give credit to them for whatever you can that is true. I understand why you feel that way. That sounds like it's really painful. I understand that my actions could have been perceived like that. I think that's totally realistic. Those are ways that we actually give credit to them. We actually say, you know what, you're not crazy. There's something there. On the other hand, we need to take credit Give credit to ourselves for any last sinful thing that we have done in the process. I grew up thinking that everyone else was wrong and I was right. Today, and I know a lot of you who have been around for a while, have walked with the Lord, know that every situation is gray. That in every interaction, and if you don't know this, you need to get your minds around this. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Part of my recovery was to list everything and every person I've ever had a resentment, every interaction that left me hurt. And as I investigated each and every one of those, painstakingly I realized that I was wrong in like 90% of them. And in the other 10%, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There is value in recognizing that each of our interactions with angry people, each of our interactions where someone has gotten hurt, that we have a part in it. That we have a part. So when addressing the antagonist, we take ownership of that. We take ownership. We certainly don't invent things to say that we're guilty of, but we do as much as we can to say, you're right, I was wrong, here, here, and here, and this is why. And then remove the word but from your vocabulary. Just own it. Just own it. Very, very important. As people who are committed to the truth, and who are commanded to confess our sins, we should be people who frequently take inventory of our actions. 
as we lay in bed at night and we think about how the day went, we should be thinking, what did I do wrong? Did I do something? Should I have done something differently? Lord, forgive me of that. Tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to call this person I'm going to say. I think there's value in calling people that we think we might have hurt and confessing how we fear we might have hurt them. I think there are times where I've spoken with you guys or with others, or even to myself, where I'd say, oh, it's going to be so painful to do that. I'm going to have to be vulnerable and confess that I might have done something wrong or that my motivation was off. But they might not think, I'll err on the side of not calling them. But it's better not to bring it up. In my experience, calling someone and saying, brother, I think I might have said something that was out of turn and I want to apologize. I said this and I was thinking this and I, I, I really hope that it didn't bother you. If it did, I'd like to talk about it. The ones who it did bother, this is what we should be doing. It's restoring a relationship that's been severed. For the ones that it didn't bother, it gives a sense of deeper trust, a sense that the life that you're living is considering them in the way that they might feel in a situation. So I think it's important that we do that. Now, everything we've talked about today, we talked about um, not getting angry. We've talked about giving excuses, but not defending ourselves. We've talked about uh, giving credit where credit is due. Again, all of this is just behavioral. All of this are just ways of acting differently. But in the end, it can only be done in the power of the Spirit. And it can only be done in so much as we are focusing on who Jesus is and who we are in light of Jesus. When we're in a tense situation and people are angry with us for something we've said or something we did or now something we believe, we're not going to be able to respond in the way God wants us to respond unless we're doing it through the means God has given us. That means is allowing the Holy Spirit to motivate, guide, and work through every interaction that we have. Every interaction. This is a time that we need to remain focused on who Jesus is and who he says we are. We are sure to be, we've already been, it will certainly get worse. God has told us it's going to get worse. But we will be people who will be accused. That's Satan's MO. That's how Satan works. That's how Satan works through other people who are still ignorant or in their sin, don't understand. We will be accused. We will be the target's growing. The target's growing on all of us. We're coming to a place where we're going to have to make some hard decisions here. Am I going to stand firm for Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word? In the face of all of my friends who have just fallen in with the current, Am I going to stand firm in social media and respond to the things that are said about me? Maybe I keep quiet, maybe I don't. Either way, am I doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit? Am I willing to stand before man and declare what truth, what the truth of God says? Or am I going to grow quiet and marginalized and try to keep the peace instead of making peace? Now, those of you who know me know that I am not a gloom and doom kind of guy. But it's obvious, it's obvious that things are heating up. 
that we need to be ready. I want to be a church. I want us to be Christians. I want us to be a family, a, a flock, that when things get hard, we show up here for each other. That when things start getting really bad, we defend one another, we stand firm, we're on our knees for one another. That we are ready to do whatever it takes to live for Christ in a dying generation. That our lives would look completely different. A big part of this is the way we respond to the accusation that is sure to come. The way that we respond. If you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's replete with stories of Christians losing their lives for the faith. Whether or not any of us die as a result of defending our faith, of living for Christ, who knows? God only knows who has the crown of martyrdom. But I will say this. I want to be a person in that book. That when the time comes, I want to be a chapter in Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'm not asking for it. I want my heart to be so sold out and so trusting in the grace of Christ that when the moment comes, I do not fear. That I'm willing to say anything he's told me to say, act any way he's told me to act, and live as a witness for Christ, no matter what. Because this life is here and gone. But eternity is forever. We need to watch our mouths in the way we speak. Don't repay anger for anger. Give perspective and not excuses. And give credit, especially take credit, for your part in confession where it is due. So, I went longer than I was hoping to. In our conversation at our staff meeting and in the sermon planning meeting, we talked about anger and how to answer an angry person. And, and Roxanne had a, uh, a wonderful testimony regarding this very idea. And so I've asked her if she would share a little bit about that. I think it's, uh, it gives glory to God, that's for sure. Come on up, Roxanne. Typically, I don't think many of you would see me as an angry person. Actually, I think I lean towards annoyingly happy, but then again, you are all pretty easy to love. It's a different story when you unexpectedly have a person come live with you. In 2005, my father-in-law passed away suddenly, and we realized my mother-in-law, Roberta, wasn't able to live on her own. So we moved her into our living room where she stayed for two years until we were able to build a room in the basement. I knew having her come to stay with us was the right thing to do, and I had the best of intentions. But a few months in, I found myself searching the Bible to see if God really did say, take care of her. 1 Timothy 5.8, among other verses, made it pretty clear. But if any of you do not take care of their relatives, especially the members of their own family, they have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. Clearly, God said, take care of her. But it was not an easy thing. Roberta was a breast cancer survivor who would soon be diagnosed with bone cancer. She had had her heart valve replaced, a mastectomy, was on multiple medications, and worst of all, she had been dealing with schizophrenia since her late 20s. This mental illness left her with an effectless personality, which is a trait of schizophrenia. She was virtually unable to have compassion, sympathy, or empathy, and she showed very little emotion. Laughter and anger were the two emotions that surfaced in Roberta. 
We tried to encourage her laughter. The anger usually only appeared in response to, by, in response to my denying her what she wanted. Roberta literally lived for cigarettes, pizza, chocolate cake, brownies, ice cream, and Coke. I must confess, a couple of those things do seem to make my life better, too. But her lifestyle did not fit well with my efforts in trying to raise and homeschool three children to become responsible. She had very little impulse control and childish behavior tendencies. So, I told, so when I told her no, that she couldn't smoke in the house or eat brownies I just made for an event, I would receive an angry look or remark, and on occasion, name-calling. Devil woman was a favorite. Other things happened, too. Once, at 4 a.m., I woke up to the smell of smoke and went downstairs to find her standing over an open flame on the gas stove, casually smoking her cigarette. She had turned on the stove to light her cigarette and just left it on. She was not a happy camper when I ended her early morning campout. I was now becoming angry frustrated and not knowing how to handle this, and it showed in my responses to her. Didn't this woman know we were trying to help her? Didn't she care? Couldn't she understand? Nope. No amount of explaining or reasoning or clarifying helped. And after her psychiatrist declared, she's doing really well, this is as good as it's going to get, it was clear there wasn't going to be any changing the effects of her mental illness and who she was even if we could control her cigarette and food supply. That mean I had to change my attitude and heart. Or life was going to be really difficult. Even in trying to do the right thing, God saw my self-righteousness, my superior attitude, my impatience, my struggle for control, and he got to work. He brought me back to him and his word. I prayed, I read and memorized verses to help me with this, and I shared my heart with a friend who worked with the mentally ill. She was God-sent. Slowly and consistently, my Heavenly Father showed me that Roberta was his child, and he loved her just as she was. He showed me that I needed to love her in the same way. He showed me that I was no better than her. He showed me that but for the grace of God, there go I. He showed me that she didn't choose to have schizophrenia. No one would choose that. Sometime after I started seeking God to deal with this, Roberta was again upset with me. I don't remember what caused it this time, but I remember just staring at her and the anger starting to rise. And all of a sudden, the words came to me, see her how Jesus sees her. Jesus loves her. You must love her too. I believe that was the beginning of my heart changing towards her. It still wasn't easy, but it was easier. She didn't change, but God changed me. I had more compassion. I had Jesus. I remembered he served me without complaining and had an attitude of love. I learned to be thankful again, to be slow to become angry and to let my gentleness be evident. I was in no way perfect, and God sought fit to bring me plenty of opportunities to practice his love on her. But I had a peace, and I felt I could see her more and more how Jesus sees her, and my children were watching it all happen. One day, when I was with her at the doctor, I had made a comment about how difficult caregiving was. He responded to me, even though this is hard now, you will look back and never regret doing the right thing. Roberta lived with us for nine years. Then we had to admit her to nursing care because the bone cancer was finally showing its presence. A year and a half later, her kidneys began to fail. A few weeks before she passed away, we were getting a test done. 
After she emerged from the test, I was there to help her. The nurse asked me who I was, and I replied that I was her daughter-in-law. The, the nurse commended me on being there and said to Roberta how unusual it was to see a daughter-in-law helping out. Out of the blue, And with a sincerity and kindness that it was foreign for Roberta, she's responded, she simply responded, she's my angel. Galatians 9.6 says, do not be weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. God's shown that verse to be true for me, and the doctor's words were right. I have never regretted doing the right thing. In fact, I'm so grateful I didn't choose another way. Now I'm equipped to help my mom, who has dementia, and empathize with my family who are caring for her. To him be the glory for his unfailing love that helped me choose love over anger with Roberta. As I was writing this, I realized he's essentially working this whole process over again in me in another area of my life with a totally different situation. So it is with God to be continued. Thank you. Amen. We're grateful to God for what he's doing, certainly in that situation and what he's doing in each of our lives. So let's pray. Let's ask God to do this in our life. Let's ask God to make us people who are uh, about peace and not about anger. Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, your testimony through Roxanne. I believe, Lord, that in that moment, um, you spoke through her mother-in-law to give her a commendation, to give her encouragement, to give her a sense of your presence. And we're grateful for that, Lord. We're grateful that you love us so much uh, that we do not have to worry about what other people think, how they accuse us, what they might say when they're angry with us. Lord, we are wholly and completely rooted in you. Help that to be a reality in our minds. Help us to know that because of Christ, we are grafted in and always will be. So what else matters? We pray, Lord, that this last song would be um, that we would hear you in the words, that we would hear you and see ourselves and that, Lord, ultimately that you would change us. We want to be different. We want to be, we pray, Lord, that you would make us more like Christ and that you would do it soon because we struggle. Yet we look to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.